Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Uh, Thank you guys for being here um, this morning. I... uh, it's just great to, to be with folks. Thanks for tuning in. If you've tuned in this morning, uh, we're glad that, that you've chosen to do that and to be with us at Oak City Church. It's just, it's encouraging to, to be with people, whatever chance that you get, and yet we totally understand why people are hesitant to do that. Right now, we had a, a movie night that we talked about the last um, few weeks last night, and it was uh, phenomenal, really well done, just, just great to spend some time together. Um, with family, and so thanks to the folks that, that put that um, together. If you are, if you're n- new to Oak City Church and you're tuning in, uh, we're, we're, it's great that you're here. We're glad that you're here. If you've been tuning in, but we don't know who you are, I would love for you to send me an email to jeff at oakcitychurch.com that just says hi, <laughs> because church is not a TV show. It's not a Sunday morning service. Church is a family and the body of Christ, and so just give us, we're not going to put you, you send me an email, I'm not going to put you on an email list, I promise, we don't have to be besties, although we could be, Uh, but it just gives us a chance to say hi to you, and to know um, who's out there and tuning in, so we would, we would love um, for you to do that. I want to um, just, just warm up something that we'll talk about for the next, until January 1st, last week I talked about the, our next step when it comes to our Bible reading challenge stuff the last few years we've done that and I talked about it last week and I forgot a quote last week this bummed me out when I realized it but I had read one book where these guys did this study and they they went through all this statistical stuff about the number one thing the number one indicator of spiritual maturity is how frequently people read their bible and they they had these expensive statisticians do all this stuff and they got to the end they said we just laughed like that it was the simplest thing and that was the thing that was the greatest predictor and so that's why we really encourage engaging with God through his word through the Bible and this year we're trying to make that even more accessible by doing this E100 the essential 100 stories in the Bible 50 Old Testament 50 New Testament they're all about a chapter or two the stories can't be really, but but they, it's a chapter. The reading plan is a chapter or two a day, sometimes three, four, five chapters. But you can do it. We're going to preach through it starting at the beginning of the year. We're going to have our home groups do um, discussion groups uh, around it, and so we really want you to engage that. And we'll have some information about that this week. It'll be on the website for you to sign up, and so you've got a few weeks to do that. But just know that that's that that's coming. So it's uh it's Christmas. This is the passage that. That uh, I'm going to preach through today. This is Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife 
but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we'll spend a few weeks talking about Advent. Advent is like the coming, the, we're waiting for the coming of Jesus, and, um, and one of the things that Advent does for us is Jesus gives us reason to hope, and it's like an annual reminder of our time to talk about the hope that we have uh, in Christ. And so I was thinking about that this week, and I think hope is hard to I hope might be hard, harder to come by this year than it is in most years, or just harder to get yourself up for hope um, than it is normally. We had, in staff meeting this week, we had this conversation, and I've had it like five times since then. We were going through, like, just trying to, you know, determine what's the wise thing to do right now and what phase we're in, according to the governor, and if we're, I'd heard that we might move to phase one and we couldn't remember what phase one was, and we're trying to figure out a mass gathering, what is that, and what's the difference between a mass gathering and like a conference center gathering and a coffee shop gathering and all these things, and I just stopped. I was like, man, this is why we're all so exhausted, because for nine months, we've been making decisions based on incomplete information at best, bad information at worst, and so our confidence level and our decisions has gone from, from somewhere up here to like down here, you know, and we're not certain about that, and every, or a lot of decisions we make, it feels like if you make them wrong, you just might kill somebody, you know? Uh, there's like this slight chance, like we, we for Thanksgiving, uh, my mom's up in Wake Forest, that's, that's the only person we gather with is, is my mom, and she was coming down for Thanksgiving, and the couple days before Thanksgiving, I got like these waves of migraines. So Wednesday, and I haven't told my mom that yet, this yet, and she tunes in, so she's fine. This. Sorry, mom. But she, so Wednesday, I didn't feel real good, and I thought, I've got COVID. You know what I mean? Like you just, as soon as you feel a little bit bad, you blow your nose, you cough, you think you've got COVID. And so I'm thinking, should I call my mom and tell her not to come down here? But I'm like 99% sure I don't have COVID. I just had a migraine and I feel bad. But if I make that decision wrong, you know, I'm going to kill my mom. And so that's how all of our decisions feel right now. And I said, this is why we're all so exhausted because we don't, we don't even notice the weight that we've been carrying around. And whether you, whatever you lead, you know, just yourself, your life, um, it's a challenge to do that. And so Christmas, for me, Christmas seems to have like snuck up and tapped me on the shoulder. And I'm like, oh, Christmas, you know? <laughs> and normally Christmas seems like a bit of a, almost an escape. It's like we don't press pause, but things slow down a little bit as December goes along and, and, um, and we take a little bit of time off, but now it just feels like there's no escaping and so it's, there's, it's tiring. And I've, I've found in my own you know, soul like hope was harder to come by. This, uh, I saw this from a pastor um, that I, I don't know well, but I, I follow in it and I thought this like spoke to me. So he put this out on Twitter. He said, let's not settle for a merry little Christmas. Advent reveals the depth of our need. Christmas reveals the cost of our redemption. So it's not some cute little story, you know? Like this is God came from heaven to earth because our problem was so big that this is what needed to happen for him to solve it. He said, joy is for the desperate, not for the bored. And I feel like we're, we are desperate, we feel desperate, COVID desperate, and yet there's something because of the way that it's impacted us and we're, there is some malaise that comes with it. And he says joy is for the, for the desperate, not the bored. Grace is for sinners, not the disappointed. And Jesus comes to make all things new, not all things cute. And we don't need a cute 
we don't need a cute Christmas. We need an all things new Christmas. And so I really like sat in that for a while because I think it's what we need. We need a Christmas with some bite to it. And thankfully, the real Christmas from the Bible has some bite to it. So I'm going to dig into this story and then the backstory to this story uh, for a few minutes and start here that hope, if we're going to hope, hope begins with disruption. Paul says, who hopes for what they already have? You don't hope for what you already have. You hope when something's wrong, when there's something that needs to be fixed, when there's disruption that comes to your life. That pastor said, joy is for the desperate, not the bored. And hope is that. It's for the desperate and not for the bored. And sometimes we just want to pretend that everything's okay because we don't want to involve, engage the tension involved with everything not being okay. Um, but, but it's a reminder not just to pretend that everything is okay. Read this story about Mary and Joseph, and I guarantee that Joseph had a plan, and that plan was disrupted in this story. And so his plan probably went a bit like a lot of people's plans. That His, his plan was meet a girl, settle down, you know, have a few kids, raise a family, grow old together. Instead, he met a girl. Girl came to him, told him that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Turns out the girl was crazy, and he thought, new plan, I'm going to meet a different girl, you know? <laughs> and, and a lot of us, like, at some point in life, um, we met somebody, and we dated him for a while, and we came to the conclusion that they were a little crazy, and so we moved on to the next, to the next person. And that's and in some way, that's true because everyone's crazy, you know? I have a, um, I have, and few of you have heard this over the years, but not many. I have a crazy girlfriend theory. It could also be a crazy boyfriend theory. It could be a crazy boss theory. And the theory is that you date somebody, and, and I actually have somebody in mind for this. She's a great girl, but, like, we dated for a while, and I punched the crazy button a few too many times. I was like, this ain't going to work. And so um, broke up and looked for another girl. But then you look for... You, get, you go from girlfriend A, who turns out to be crazy, or boyfriend or boss or whatever, to girlfriend B, and then their Venn diagrams kind of overlap at some point, and so they remind you just a little bit of this, and you have this moment of panic where you're like, oh, no, I'm with crazy, I'm with, she's the same as crazy girlfriend A, and so you have to work through all that stuff. Anybody else, like, nobody? Come on, be honest, be honest. Uh, um, and it's because... You're with someone long enough and the crazy comes out because we're all crazy. And sometimes it comes out quick and it's not because the person was super crazy, but because you're crazy and they're crazy, don't interact, they don't play well, and so their crazy comes out faster. And sometimes you don't find out about it for a long time because your crazies get along with each other. And so you gotta be married for like 10 years for some of that to come out. We can talk about that later if you want to. But it's all like that happens because the Bible's true and because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And some of that's crazy and some of it's just flat sin. And that's why we have this story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins because we needed that, because we needed that, because we all are sinners um, that have done that. Now Joseph in this crazy girlfriend theory, has a major case of this because saying you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit in the absence of some really good evidence, that is psychotic level crazy. That is run fast crazy, you know? And so into that, it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he is going to save people, his people, from their sins. 
And by this, the Bible means, as Joseph considered just how crazy Mary might be, an angel came to him and said, I know she looks crazy, but she is not. She is a keeper, and she's telling the truth, and that baby is by the Holy Spirit. And she is like, Mary's like the keeper of all keepers, you know, and so just trust me on this, and this is going to work out. So God tells Joseph, hey, disruption, embrace disruption. Embrace disruption and trust that God knows what he's doing and hope in the promised result that Jesus is going to be the son that you are going to raise and he is going to save the world from their sins and all of what you're going to go through is totally going to be worth it. Uh, And so that's what the story tells us. Hope requires disruption. That is hard for us. Um, How many of you just, how many don't like disruption? I don't like disruption. Nobody likes disruption. We work really hard to have things lined up the way that they're supposed to be and eliminate disruption. And we have a unique opportunity, I would say, in world history to eliminate disruption because of like, just the general wealth of the, the culture we live in, the technology, the way that we can, you know, the opportunities that we have to control our environment. We, are, we, have, we have the opportunity to be, to be the, like the biggest control freaks in the history of the world, and we've grasped that opportunity. And I would argue that we're, you know, and I don't want to say this in any way like pejorative or judgmental, but we're, we're highly medicated because we have this collective expectation of things being in control, and so we have a harder time when they aren't. Um, and there's a lot to that, you know. Uh, but when someone asks you, you know, how are you, your default is, oh, I'm great, even if, like, things are falling apart because we don't deal well with disruption. It's perfectly... It's perfectly biblical when somebody asks you how you're doing, not to respond, oh, great, but to say, hey, how much time you got? You know, because it's going to take a while to unpack all the things that are going on in my life that aren't great, like to give people your disruption. So hope is going to require disruption. We got to embrace it instead of rejecting it. Disruption leads to tension, and so hope inevitably is going to require tension. If we're going to live in hope, and the Bible calls us to live in hope, there's going to be tension with that. It's going to take some time for disruption to, to get to resolution, and tension is going to be in the middle of that. You look at Joseph's story, and that's totally true. Uh, God says, here's disruption. I promised resolution, but you're going to have to wait, so there's inevitably tension. And Joseph, Joseph is off the scene by the time Jesus' ministry starts, and resolution really comes, and they're, you know, they're validated in the decision that they made. And so he has to wait a long time and never sees the resolution this side of heaven. I heard a Christmas sermon a year, 20 years ago. It was in a seminary dinner or something like that around Christmas. And this, another, I mean, just of all the sermons I've heard, I'll never forget this one. This guy, Jay Strack, said, he said, you know what? If I was, if I was this is a small town life. If I'm in that small town and this teenage girl and this teenage boy, you know, just come up and say, hey, yeah, she's pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. I'd be like, mm, you know, do I look like I was born yesterday? You know, like you would have a hard time embracing that. Nazareth was a small place. You'd have a hard time embracing that. But he said, I would watch. I'd be generous to that couple. I would support them any way that I could. I would take them in. I would watch the baby, you know. And that's what it is in this story. Like they got to watch the baby, and it takes a long time um, for them to be publicly validated. I was... I'm going through an Advent devotional um, from the Bible Project, and so if you've done the, the Bible Project videos at all, uh, man, that, they're both really smart guys in those videos, but the, the one guy is wicked smart about the Bible. Um, 
and he was talking about the, one of the Hebrew words for hope is kava, and kava, it's the root of that is kav, which is cord. And so he said the implication is like it's a cord that is pulled taut, and that's what tension comes from. It's like, it's like a tug of war where the thing is tight, and you're not sure who's going to win, and it's going back and forth, and you're living in that tension. And man, that captures it for me. It's like that, just a tightness that comes with tension. And the way that God, the backstory that God references in this passage references like another Christmas story, lesser well-known, but alluded to. And he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so that's a prophecy that is, it's not, they don't have to wait 30 years for Jesus' ministry to start. That's a 700-year-old prophecy that was partially fulfilled, but it's part of a, a bigger group of prophecies. They've been waiting for the Messiah. And so he references back to that one and says, this one, the tension from that one is going to be resolved in this story. And that whole deal about the virgin will conceive and bear a son, we've taken that to be like a, you know, a silent night, um, holy night, all is calm, all is bright round yon virgin mother and child holy infant so tender that's my favorite christmas song it's a quiet it's the one with the candles we light the candles during that song it's so quiet but the story that's referenced is anything but quiet it is laden with tension and so i'm going to take us back 700 years and for a few minutes um, just give the sketch of this story this goes back to the time of isaiah um, is a king of, named Ahaz, and so in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, I'll explain that in a minute, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not mount an attack against it. And when the house of David, Ahaz, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And so this is the the geopolitical reality of that day. Israel is this nation, but Israel for a period of time is split into two nations. And so the northern kingdom gets called Israel and the southern kingdom gets called Judah. And then Syria is still a country that was just north of of Israel. And so Syria is there. And then there's a bigger country, Assyria, which is like one of the, just one of the biggest baddest worst world empires if you if you're a podcast person look up dan carlin's hardcore history and find his podcasts on assyria and they will blow your mind these were bad people and so they're taking over everything and israel the northern kingdom and syria decide we're going to make an alliance to try and hold them off and we need to get judah in this alliance to hold them off and so they are coming to jerusalem And because Ahaz is resisting that, and they're like, okay, we're going to take him out, put another king in, and he'll form an alliance. And so that's the the tension um, that is is going on right here. Now, if you're Ahaz, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, you've got options. You can just join this alliance of Syria and Israel. Um, So that's an option. You can go to Assyria, you know, and he has some contact with them to say, hey, can we be cool? Like, what do we need to do here to just keep you from demolishing us? Or, or... You know, your nation was founded by a God who rescued you out of Egypt, called Abraham into the promised land, took you through the Red Sea, like all that stuff. You could say, hey, God, uh, remember us? Because we got a problem here, and we need your help solving it. You could pray the, hey, God, if you get us out of this mess, I promise I will never do this thing again. You could pray that prayer if you were Ahaz. Um, So that's the situation. 
the Lord goes to the prophet Isaiah and, and says to Isaiah, go out and meet King Ahaz and with, with your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the washer's field, real specific, and say to him this, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrand, um, which are the king of, of Israel and the king of Assyria. Don't worry about it. I got this. Thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. The head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. So God comes to Ahaz and gives, it's like a word from the Lord by a prophet, you know, like this is the thing we want to have happen and thinks, okay, I'll calm him down. I'll give him a, a word from the Lord and then he'll trust me and he'll come to me and we'll work this stuff out. Well, it doesn't work. And so he gets the word and that's not enough. So God says, okay. I'm going to give him a sign. And so again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Anything you want, anything. Ask me for a sign. God says, I'll give you a sign. This, this never happens. How many of you have ever asked God for a sign? Tough decision, difficult time in life, um, Job, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, child situation. How many of you have ever asked God for a sign? You got to raise your hands high because I can barely see you right now with these lights, you know? How many of you, I've asked him plenty for plenty of signs. Sometimes he answers those, you know? How many of you have ever had God come to you and say, hey, ask me for a sign, anything you want? This never happens. This never happens. Uh, and so you think if you're Ahaz, you're, you're going to take him up on this. So Ahaz, here's what you got to know about Ahaz. In that time where Israel and Judah are like these two separate kingdoms within Israel, this is the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles and the Old Testament, and it's like a, it's like a ping pong match between good, good kings and bad kings. They're like, this guy was the king for 35 years, and he was a good king, in, you know, and the, he walked in the ways of his father, really his great-great-great-great-grandfather David, and and did right things. And then his son became the king for 13 years, but he was a really bad king, and he did this and this and this. And then his son became the king, and he was a good king, and then his son was a good king, but then his son was really bad. It's like that's how it goes, like back and forth. Ahaz was at the top of the naughty list for kings. He was, he was like the worst of the worst of the bad kings. One passage says, when Ahaz was 20 years old, he began to reign and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made, he even did this, he even made metal images for the Baals. So those are the false gods, and he is making images of the false gods for his people to worship. And the author's like, can you believe it? And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the, the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. He sacrificed his own children to these false gods. Like he was horrible. There's another story where it says he went to Damascus to meet with the king of Assyria and he saw how they had set up their temple to their false pagan god and he liked it so much that he sent the plans back to his high priest in Jerusalem and had him redo the temple that God had given very specific instructions to Israel for and they're like a setup for what heaven's like and the gospel is like and redid it. Like, this is, this is just the, the worst, this is the worst of the worst of the kings. And yet, God is going to use him. And God says, ask me anything, Ahaz, and I will give you a sign. 
So you're Ahaz. You, uh, you get in this sticky situation. You haven't exactly been on speaking terms with God for a while. Uh, he comes to you once and says, I got this. It'll be okay. He comes to you again and says, ask for any sign that you want. If you're Ahaz, what do you think you do? You know, you think you might just say, oh, man, thanks, God. Like, I totally don't deserve that, but I'm in a jam. Um, like, I need to make some changes. That would be an option. You could just completely ignore him because it seems like that's what you've been doing anyway. What he does is the last thing I expect him to do. Ahaz said, I don't want to put the Lord my God to the test. This is amazing. You know, like, what did you think you were doing when you were making metal images to the Baals or sacrificing your kids to false gods or redoing the temple from the way that God said that it was supposed to be? Like, what was the, I don't want to put my God to the test then? I have learned over years of being a pastor, and I didn't grow up in a real churchy environment, so I don't know what this was, but it's a phrase that people use. I would say that people kind of church me up sometimes. Usually it happens in the lobby after a service. We're like, oh, pastor, you know, that was real whatever, like, and they're saying stuff, but I don't think they really mean it. And you guys don't do it. We don't have a church, the pastor up type of church. But honestly, don't tell them. Sometimes your parents will do it. Like sometimes your parents are real churchy and they'll come in and they'll be like, oh, pastor, that was great. I'm like, oh, I'm being churched up right now. This is the ultimate church up God moment for Ahaz. And if you're God, like, I just, I don't know, you know, what, what you're doing there. So this whole story in, in with Hope and Joseph and Mary and all this stuff, like disruption, lots and lots of disruption. You got to embrace disruption. There's tension that comes along with disruption. The tension is going to lead you to do one of two things. You are either with that tension going to embrace disruption and say, okay, tension, and I'm waiting for resolution, and you are going to lean into God and say, I don't have control over this, but God is going to use this to show me more about himself and to grow my relationship with him. And so I'm going to lean into him. I'm going to seek him in ways that I haven't sought him before. I'm going to learn new things about myself and about God. And that's going to be the result of it. That pastor that I mentioned earlier, grace is for sinners and not the disappointed. Grace is for sinners and not the disappointed. And what, what you end up, what you can do in that situation is the other thing is you can just, you can lean into yourself and away from God. And you can grasp control more and say, i got to figure out a different way to get this done myself instead of leaning towards him. And I think the danger in, um, in this, what, what, he's lean, what he's alluding to with the graces for sinners and not the disappointed is with that tension, we either lean in and say, man, I'm in less control of things than I thought I was and God's bigger than I thought he was. And so I need to embrace that. Or I can say, man, I'm kind of ticked that God put me in this situation where I've got all this tension, and so I'm going to lean away from him and be disappointed in God. And that's, that's, I don't know about you, that's convicting for me. That's challenging me, and that's a mirror for me to look into and ask how I deal with the tensions uh, that are in my life. And so there's disruption, and there's tension, and then this story pushes us to this, that hope, hope needs a good reason to believe it'll be fulfilled. Hope has an object. There's an object of our hope that we think is going to provide the resolution. And, and our hope is really dependent upon our understanding of the capacity of the object that we put our hope in. In Ahaz's case, he puts his hope in himself, in Assyria, in Egypt, in, this, in anything but God. But the story tells us some stuff about the character of the God in whom we have placed our hope. So if you're God in this situation and you've given him a word and you've offered him a sign and he's resisted it, 
If I'm God in this moment, I'm going to do one of two things. I'm going to be like, okay, Ahaz, let me know how that works out for you, you know, and just kind of wait to see how it plays out. Or I'm going to pull out my lightning bolts because I'm God and say, zap, next king, who's next? And just bring another king in and deal with it. That's not what God does. So God says, and this is the prophecy, but just hear the tone. Hear the tone with which we read the prophecy in the Christmas story and hear the tone with which the prophecy is said. And he said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And he shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and at your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah from the king of Assyria. This is not, oh, here's a little baby. Here, I'm going to give you a little baby. It's like, here's the baby. You don't want the baby. You don't deserve the baby. But I'm going to give you the baby because I love you. Like, this is an aggressive father's love. I'm going to give this to you. It is the gospel. It is while we were yet sinners, while we were like, God, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to lean into my I don't need a sign. I got this. God didn't, God didn't give up. God kept coming for us. And our hope in what the story is telling us and the allusion to this backstory is telling us is our hope is not in our ability to get ourselves out of our messes or to resolve our disruption or even to understand what our messes are and our hope isn't on our ability to please God enough that he'll use his abilities to get us out of our messes our hope is in the grace of this God that loves us so much that he pursues us so much our hope is in the the gospel and that story of God rescuing the Israelites from their enemies is a microcosm of the bigger story of the gospel that this Jesus, this child, and there was a partial resolution to that um, in that day, but it was, it was tied with these bigger messianic prophecies that they were waiting to be fulfilled, is pointing us to Jesus, who has come to save us from our sins. I was, um, I was working through this stuff this week, and I was thinking, hope, hope in our day, like, what are we hoping? What are, we ho- what are our hope in right now? What are we really hoping for? Yeah, a vaccine, right? We are, we are hoping for a vaccine and that this vaccine, and we have a lot of hope, 95% effective, that this vaccine, two, two companies, like that once we get rolling with this, that we'll be able to get out of this stuff. And then I started thinking COVID is a global pandemic. And then I had a thought that it's just not a normal, like this is a little bit, a little bit um, I don't know, maybe a little bit cheesy and I'm not good, good with that. And neither are you guys most of the time, but I thought, man, it really works though. So COVID is a global pandemic. You know what else is a global pandemic? Sin is a global pandemic. Uh, If we don't get a vaccine, COVID is going to spread person to person. Like everyone's going to get it just the way that it seems, you know. And so that's what our hope is. And everyone has gotten sin and it's spread person to person. And so Jesus is like the long-awaited vaccine for sin. I know that's cheesy, but it's totally true. It works. Like it breaks down, but it works. And so he is the only answer for it. Um, and that's what this story is telling us. And that, like, it actually keeps going because the vaccine is going to be a two-stage vaccine where you get it, but then you're not totally done yet, and then you have to get it again. And when you, when you receive Christ and who he is and what he's done for you in the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, it's like getting the first stage of the vaccine, and it starts to, like, 
um, you know, we've used this language before that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved from the consequences of sin. So we have been saved by what we're justified and reconciled with God, and yet the sanctification process has just begun. And so we're not, it's not completely done. It's like we're living between advents, that Jesus has come and provided deliverance for us, and yet there's another coming of Jesus where everything is going to be finally resolved, and we're waiting for that. Paul says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly our adoption as sons. Uh, disruption, tension, we groan inwardly. We wait eagerly, hope for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for we do not see, we wait for it. In tension, but with patience. Because the object of our hope is sure. The object of our hope is a God that sent his only begotten son from heaven to earth to live this sinless life, to die a completely unjust death in our place. And he rose from the grave, and a grave, there's an empty grave in Jerusalem, and our hope is in that God that has placed the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in us. And we wait for that second advent where he makes all things right. Uh, is there disruption in your life right now. I think this is what this calls me to, is like, okay, what disruption am I not embracing and I'm just rejecting or ignoring, but God has me right where he wants me. He has disrupted things exactly the way he wants things disrupted. And, and how am I dealing with the tension of waiting for resolution? Is it causing me to lean into God or is it causing me just to grasp for control or, or just you know, live in this kind of a hopeless, despairing type of place because I'm not doing what it wants me to do, which is lean into, uh, lean into this God and where ultimately um, is my hope. Christmas is the annual reminder, you know, just, just one of many, but an annual reminder that we are in limbo. We are in between Advents. We live in tension and our hope is in the God who just time after time after time after time, story after story after story after story, like, just ways in our own lives, in the life of our faith community, he has proven himself faithful time after time after time after time after time. Amen? Like time after time, he's proven himself faithful, and he will do it again. And Christmas is that reminder. So when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. And Jesus did indeed save the world from our sins. Let's not settle for a merry little Christmas, uh, but lean in to the Jesus that we worship that came not to make all things cute for a season, but to make all things new. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and um, you guys should have your communion cups. And so we are going to uh, remember and to celebrate what he has done for us in Christ um, by doing what he commanded us uh, to do. And so if you can come up front stage and I can see if you guys, we're getting this down now. Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the cup around to his disciples and said, this is my blood that's been poured out for you. 
drink in remembrance of me. Father, I pray um, that during this time when things are disrupted in just crazy ways, but things are always disrupted in our lives because you're always working and you always are growing us in our relationship with you and you're always pushing us to show us that you are so much bigger than we realize that you are. And so I pray whatever the disruption is in our lives, whether it's COVID related or not, God, that we would not shun it or ignore it, but we would embrace it and realize that this is how you work in the lives of your people and you've done it for thousands and thousands of years, Lord. Uh, that we would, in that tension, respond by leaning into you instead of grasping for control ourselves, God, that we would recognize um, that we are sinners, that we are desperate, and that we need you, Lord, more than we realize, that you're bigger, and that these are opportunities to grow in our understanding of who you are and how good you are. And we thank you that our hope is sure, and it is based in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's based in the word of God. It's based in your actions throughout the history of mankind to bring reconciliation between us and you to save us from our sins, God. We are grateful and we rejoice in this time of year when we remember that by the birth of your son. We love you and pray this in his name. Amen.